Hello everyone, welcome back to Biomaro. This is a weekly news show where we'll discuss some of the weird, strange, and downright odd things that have happened in the art and history fields. I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I'm your host and personal curator, Amara Andrew. I take two weeks off and I can't function. Anyway, this week we're going to be talking about why there was a dramatic crash in human population about eight or 900,000 years ago, a strange homage to Felix Gonzalez Torres, AI-generated art is actually not protected by copyright, and we're going to talk more about that. And then we're going to look at a database of stolen artwork. So we have all that and more coming up on this episode of Biomara. So let's get to it. God, I take two weeks off and I'm just like, blah. So yeah, sorry about the very long unintentional hiatus. Uh, I've just been a busy little bumblebee. We've been in three different states in three weeks or four states, technically, including this one. So we're a state of mind, man. Uh, so I've just been... I'm just been, oh my God, I've just been a little discombobulated. So anyway, hi, welcome back. I don't blame you if you stopped listening to me because, uh, yeah, because you can. Anyway, uh, like I said, super busy. I think, I actually don't remember what the last episode was. I think I talked to you when we got back from Ocean City, New Jersey, where we visited with my dad. I don't remember though. So if not, we went there. We came back. A few days later, we went to Dallas, Texas, not Dallas somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, so we went to Dallas. We went with uh, one of my clients. She was speaking at a conference and she did absolutely amazing. I was like so proud of her. I actually, side tangent, I probably shouldn't even talk about this, but I actually cried right before she went on stage because I just like, I don't know. I don't cry in public. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You do you, whatever you feel like, but I don't like crying in public. I don't even really like crying in general. And I just felt such an overwhelming wave of emotion, I guess, and just like feeling so proud. Like, is that what it feels like to be a parent? Because I don't fucking like that shit. Uh, so it just like came out of nowhere and I was like trying to pepper up because I was filming behind the scenes with her. And then I was like, you got this, you got this. I'm so proud of you. Anyway, it's a fucking hot mess. Uh, but she absolutely crushed it. I think she was one of the best speakers at that conference besides like two other people. Um, but especially on her panel, she did phenomenal. So I was, I was very proud. Also, we did a VIP experience. So my company is called Maven and we do social media videography. So like my boyfriend, Jeff, helps me shoot and I edit everything, which is also why I didn't have time for this because I've been editing a shit ton. But I digress. So we did something called a VIP experience at this conference because essentially I should probably tell you what the fuck I'm even talking about. It was a conference for real estate professionals. So it was like uh, a lot of my clients are realtors. So it was like, oh, perfect. So uh, we got to work with this like one group of people and everyone was just so amazing and fantastic. Just like genuinely nice people. Like I have apprehension meeting new people just because it's like, I don't know if we're going to vibe. I don't know how it's going to go. Are they going to like me? Are they going to hate me? Do I, am I going to smell weird? Like what is going on? So I get very apprehensive. So anyway, I just like kept building it up in my head and I kept saying to Jeff, I was like, it's going to suck. Like they're going to hate us and like blah, blah, blah. But anyway, everything was amazing. Everybody was so nice, just like genuinely nice too, which was like, it's very rare to find that with that amount of people like normally things don't really go as well so anyway I'm just blabbing but our VIP experience was really cool essentially what happened was people would sign up for specific time slots we only had a few open just because I wanted to make sure I could like edit everything so we booked a private car which I was also apprehensive about because I've never done that before so I was like I don't know are they gonna like find us and blah 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 so that worked perfectly our driver was awesome shout out Matt and we had these like magnets that we put on the car, which technically not supposed to, but uh, we did. And he, uh, he was like awesome. 
but we put magnets on the side that said like Maven. So it looked like it was like literally a branded car, which was so cool. I loved it. I want to put that on my car here, which would look very silly. We did that. And then we booked an entire studio space. So then we would literally shuttle people from the convention center where the conference was being held to our private shooting location and then back and like just do that all day. Uh, and then, yeah, everybody had like hour long time slots and everyone just, just so much fun. Like I snort when I laugh really hard. So I just kept snorting laughing and like my sinuses were getting dry, like legitimately. It was just very fun. So anyway, that was a really cool experience. I've never done anything like that before and everything just went nice and smooth, which I was super thankful for. So anywho, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the conference was interesting. The <laughs> No, it was totally fine. There were realtors like to party. Like there were so many parties, so many events. I got to meet one of Jeff's like old longtime friends, which was really cool. He's amazing. Um, I'm sure you're like, I don't give a shit about this, Amara. Can I just listen to the stories, which you can go zoom ahead because this is my podcast. Um, but yeah, all the events were very fun, a little overwhelming for me just because literally I don't, this is like my everyday, like I don't see that many people. So I was a little overwhelmed with all of the amounts of people. I had a little bit of a breakdown on one night, but that is fine. Now I'm like, I miss it. Otherwise it was very fun getting to just like hang out with like some really awesome people and everyone was so nice and supportive. I was just like blown away. So then we left Dallas. Well, the last day was a little bit of a struggle. So I know I teased in the last episode, I wanted to go to Dealey Plaza in Dallas genuinely didn't have any time we were going to go on the last day but I did party a little too hard the night before I normally don't drink that much but I did have a little bit of whiskey and a shot of fireball which was a really bad idea so I we did not make it to Dealey Plaza because I was struggling a little bit um and it was just so fucking hot and we had like all of our stuff like I brought all of this gear with me like this light and like all the tripods and everything so it was just like a little bit to carry around so we didn't want to have to bring shit everywhere so anyway we get back from Dallas and then it's Jeff's birthday the week after so then uh we weren't gonna go do anything we were just gonna like stay at home because we'd already traveled a bunch and then we were just like fuck it let's just go to Miami for a couple days because like that's your birthday like that's what we do so we went to Miami so that is also why I wasn't able to record and that's why this is coming out like two weeks and a few days late. Miami was very fun. Obviously, Miami is like always a good time. Unless you don't like it, then you're wrong. And <laughs> I just love Miami. It just feels like a, a home to me. I don't know what it is about it, but it just like, it's amazing. So anyway, uh, we went to Miami. That was very fun. We stayed at a really cool Airbnb. It was just awesome. So that is it for all of the travel. On top of all that, I was editing a client's YouTube video the uh, vlog video for my client in Dallas that I was talking about, the like behind the scenes thing for her talk. And then all the people we shot with, I was editing all those. And then I'm also editing, which we actually need to get going for a an event we have this evening for Home and History Tour in LaGrange, Illinois. It's like a, a showcase of all these beautiful old or like old new kind of uh, homes. <laughs> so it's like talking about like the history and how people are preserving it, but then also updating these homes. And it's really neat. So we shot all that. It was seven houses, which was a lot to edit, but it was very fun. You get to meet all these like awesome homeowners and just hear how they've preserved everything. And as someone who comes from a preservation background, I'm like, fuck yeah, that's so cool. So anyway, so that is what I have been up to. I'm so sorry. That was so long and rambly. That was like, what, eight minutes? Jesus. Sorry. So yeah, that's basically been it. It's just been a lot of stuff going on, but I'm just like so thankful and happy that things are going on. We have so much more travel coming up. So I'm going to need to figure out if I record my 
podcast in the airport lobby. Like, what do I do? <laughs> lobby in the waiting room, not in the fucking lobby when you walk in the airport. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Um, so I'm going to need to figure that system out a little bit more. But anywho, so that is why I've been gone for two weeks. So I apologize. Uh, just I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. So anyway, I think with that, uh, I don't have any updates for any of the stories we've talked about before either. So I think we're just going to get straight into the show. I don't know why I'm saying it like this. Scientists, yes, you may have heard about them. They have figured out possibly what led to a dramatic population decrease about 800 to 900,000 years ago. This is so cool. I literally just read this news story, but I was like, I have to include it. So sorry if it's a little kind of everywhere. But I thought it was so cool. I had to include it. Let's go back to 800,000 to 900,000 years ago. At this time, about 98.7%, 98.7% of the ancestral population was lost at uh, the beginning of this, what scientists are calling bottleneck, that lasted for about 117,000 years. So almost 100% of the human population gone. I think that would equate to 1.3%. I think, yeah, I don't know, whatever, I hate math. But 1.3% of the population was left on the planet. That is nuts. There are also estimates that there were only about like 1,300 breeding, which I hate that word, breeding, There were only 1,300 breeding individuals alive during the transition between the early and middle Plasticine uh, period, or like the Ice Age is how we commonly call it. (laughs) I am so rusty at this. Take two weeks off. And I'm like, "Ah." what caused this severe crash in population uh, was a total mystery to scientists until now. A team of scientists from the United States, Italy, and China published their findings on August 31st in a journal called science. (laughs) Nice and to the point. In this study, they used a new method called fast infinitesimal time coalescent process or FITCOL for short. I like the the branding of it, just making it like fun and fit, FITCOL. Using FITCOL, the researchers tested human genomic sequences from 3,154 people to infer more about what happened to these ancient peoples. So like, why did this group exist? Why did these people die off? And there's also another reason though, because during this period of this severe population decrease, people actually left Africa. So people started, uh, going out to different parts of the world. I think also at this time, sorry, bonk. I think also at this time, uh, it was when the first or like some of the earliest fossils or evidence of human settlement in Australia is also found. So just like spreading out, like going out. Okay. So what did these scientists end up finding with their research? Unsurprisingly, they stated that the primary reason that they believe that there was this huge population decrease was because of the extremes in the climate. I mean, obviously, duh, it makes sense. Um, This includes temperature changes, severe drought, and then also all the food sources dying off. So like, uh, I think at the time, mammoths, mastodons, and giant sloths went extinct. So a lot of major food sources for people just gone in addition to like basically intolerable temperatures and uh, climate and everything like that. So according to this study, an estimated like 66% of current genetic diversity also may have been lost during this population drop. And then all of these things together are what led to a major threat to the human species. Like literally 1.3% was left. So like we were almost just totally gone, extinct. Well, all the different groups, but I say we, but human-ish people. (laughs) Okay, yay, I am rusty as 
Scientists also believe that this may have contributed to a speciation event or where you have like a new species or a few new species created from a single lineage. So like kind of like offshoots, you could think about them. Uh, During this event, two ancestral chromosomes may have converged to form what is now chromosome two in modern humans. And this is the second largest human chromosome and spans about 243 million building blocks of DNA base pairs. So why do we need to know any of this. Like, who cares if people were wiped out 800 to 900,000 years ago? We need to know it for a few different reasons, Um, mostly just because, I mean, one of the primary reasons is to figure out how these individuals lived and how they were able to survive and why these specific groups were able to survive versus others or within the same gene pool. Why did, you know, this group not make it, but this group did? Where did everybody go? Like, location-wise, and also where'd they go philosophically, and also how to overcome catastrophic climate change, because like, whether you believe it or not, we are going through major climate change, like, can't deny that, but I'm not going to get into that with you. If you don't believe it, then stop listening to me. So having to try to navigate that and figure out, okay, well, what can we learn from that? I mean, history, obviously, I am a huge believer in it, but history is such a great tool to be able to utilize and figure out, okay, what went wrong here? And then how can we utilize this knowledge and information that we have to make things a little bit better for us and like where we're kind of headed. So there is a reason to know. Also, uh, just one final note, why we should know is scientists are now theorizing that maybe this population drop accelerated the evolution of the human brain, which would be fucking sweet. It's just interesting because also then after this severe population drop, there was a massive rapid population increase uh, about 813,000 years ago. So Bloop. So with all this research now, scientists can kind of start to unravel uh, the mystery of early human ancestry a little bit more and just uh, know more about evolution. So on to our next story. I am a very firm believer that context is crucial and super key to things. And this ad missed the fucking mark. (laughs) It's a lot. Um, I'm going to try to not get too irritated with it. But I'm literally talking about one of my absolute favorite artworks, I think of all time, like from one of my favorite artists of all time. So I'm going to try not to get too into it. But uh, it's, it's just so stupid. Like it's just so fucking dumb what this ad is but anyway I digress I know that there's such a thing as like no good news is bad news but this or like no no bad press there is no such thing Jesus Christ (laughs) there is no such thing as bad press is what I'm trying to fucking get at and in my mind that is completely false however I I get it but it's still dumb and I'm just gonna tell you what the fuck I'm talking about there is a shoe company called Kith which I kept laughing because I was like, give me a kiss. <laughs> There's a shoe company called Kith, and they had a campaign in July to promote their new series of Gel Light 3 shoes, whatever the fuck that means. Um, and then the ad itself was meant to pay homage, or the shoes or whatever were meant to pay homage to X-Men characters, and they were arranged in a pile in a corner. If you know literally dick about art history, you will immediately think of a specific artwork. By Felix Gonzalez Torres, it's untitled Portrait of Ross in L.A. Like, you will know it if you see it. If you at least have a passing fancy in art, like, you know this piece. Even students that I would have who were freshmen knew this piece. So it's not, oh my God, okay. 
calm down. There are a couple different comparisons that this piece has been, that this ad specifically has been drawn to, like uh, comparisons, but I'm going to talk about one specifically, which I was just referencing, which is Felix Gonzalez Torres's work. This is why I'm upset with it, I guess, more than anything, because the ad itself makes no fucking sense at all. It literally does not make any sense when you know all this context. So talking about Felix Gonzalez Torres, Jesus Christ, (laughs) talking about Felix Gonzalez Torres's work, first and foremost, he was a Cuban American artist. Mainly, I want to talk about Untitled Portrait of Ross in LA. So Gonzalez Torres would do a lot of different, I'm sorry, I'm like totally not pronouncing his last name properly. Um, I'm just a dumb American. His work, he did a lot of conceptual art with a lot of just like everyday kind of objects. He did a lot of various different things, but just taking those things and adding new symbolism and meaning and context to them is huge. And that's like a crucial part of his art. With Untitled Portrait of Ross in LA, I'm going to talk about the actual artwork first. That is, I remember seeing it at the Art Institute for the first time when I was like 12 or 13, and it just stuck with me so much. I'll tell you why in a second. So essentially what it is, you go into the gallery and in the corner, and I have an image up here if you're listening or if you're watching this, if you're listening, go Google it. But there's a pile of candy in the corner of this gallery space so just like pure white walls you know what a gallery looks like and you have this pile of colorful candy in the corner you go up to it and you're like oh how whimsical how cute whatever and then you go up to it and then you see oh I can actually take pieces of this candy so you can go up grab a piece of candy eat it and as you're eating it maybe you're like hey let me read the museum label which is exactly what I did and then I was like this candy is fucking horrific and disgusting and like just not horrific and disgusting but just like it just has such a different context when you know what the piece is about this piece as I said portrait of Ross in LA is a portrait not a traditional style portrait but it is a portrait of Gonzalez Torres's life partner Ross who died of AIDS this is meant to symbolize his body as it was being ravaged by this terrible fucking disease and how when you go to take a piece of the candy, you are taking part of his body. So there's kind of like a religious sort of thing where you're like eating the body and everything. But there's also the, you are the cancer, like you are taking, or the cancer, you are the illness, like you are the disease taking away part of his body weight. The piece itself is meant to weigh about like 175 pounds, which is like the traditional body weight for a male. And so as throughout the day, the piece gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it is replenished every day so there's like his foundation has a whole system in place sorry I could talk about this artwork for forever I just love it I'm obsessed with it but essentially you are the disease and you are taking away his life partner so the beauty of it though is that there is an immortality to Ross where he lives forever in this piece because it's replenished every day so he lives forever just like how uh there are a couple other of Gonzalez Torres's pieces that are very similar like the perfect lovers I think is another one so TLDR the candy itself has a totally different meaning being piled in the corner everything has such a different context to it so if you genuinely should go see it if you ever get a chance it's just phenomenal like when you go in knowing this knowledge and everything it just totally is like it'll it'll take your breath away so that is one comparison that is being drawn to this ad which already you can see that makes no fucking sense why you would even do something similar because it's not like it just doesn't make any sense people were also drawing comparisons to Auschwitz where you know you have all the shoes 
in the corner of people who were fucking murdered. So either way, not a good comparison, whatever it is, whether it's people dying from AIDS or people dying from murder. Like either way, it's not a good comparison to be grouped toward. And I'm just going to, I'm going to be done in like two seconds. So just calm down. (laughs) So like, I just find it extremely difficult to believe that in a room full of creatives and people who were involved in this, that nobody thought of either of these two things. Like that is so not true. Like somebody had to think about either of these. So anyway, I just, I wanted to talk about it mostly just because it's like one of my favorite artworks and it's just ridiculous to make an ad that's so fucking distasteful that I'm just trying to not be too angry, but it's just such a distasteful ad to not think about any of this context. And it just, I know it's to get people to talk about stuff, but just do it in a different way, I guess. I don't know. Um, Call me old fashioned, but I just think it's dumb. So anyway, they 100% knew what they were doing. So that is, I guess the the moral of that story is uh, just people suck. (laughs) Okay, on to our next story. Sorry, I kind of lost my cool in that one. I just like it irritates me so much because I think because I'm so passionate about that piece. I just, I don't know. I love it. Anyway, our next story, we now have the first official, I believe, ruling from the United States to establish boundaries on legal protections for AI generated art. And it's not looking good. This is really brief. Like I don't have, there isn't too much about it, um, but just super brief story. A federal judge in Washington, D.C. ruled that artwork generated by AI, so artificial intelligence, is not eligible for copyright protection because it lacks, quote, human involvement. So that is going to be the main sticking point to this ruling is human involvement. What is human involvement? How involved does somebody have to be in the artwork to be able to make copyright or to create a copyright for it. And I've talked about a number of different AI related litigation and instances and stuff like that in a few episodes, like episodes past. So you can go check those out. But this is like the first time where there's actually like a solid ruling. This case has been going on for a little over a year now. So there actually is finally resolution. So the judge agreed with the copyright office, the U.S. Copyright Office, who back in March decided to deny copyright protections to Steven Thaler for an artwork he created using AI. Back in June 2022, he sued the Copyright Office for denying the application for his work of recent entrance to paradise. And it's this like super kind of trippy tunnel sort of thing. It's like a bunch of flowers. Let me actually pull it up and see what it looks like. It's just like a train tunnel, essentially. And then there's just a bunch of foliage, like... It's very interesting looking. It's not my my cup of tea personally, but it's uh, visually stimulating, I guess you could say. So Thaler, who created this using AI, uh, stated that the work was, quote, autonomously, autonomously, <laughs> autonomously created by a computer algorithm running on a machine. Therefore, he said that he had no human involvement in it, I guess. The Copyright Office stated that the work, quote, must be the product of a human mind. So... It gets weird when you're copywriting creative stuff, I think, just because, I mean, copywriting anything just feels dumb, just like buying land, but it turns into a very philosophical discussion because then it's like, okay, so are we copywriting human thought? Are we copywriting like the essence? But then we're, as you create something, you are clearly influenced by something else or a bunch of something else's to create something, which is essentially kind of what AI generated art is. Like it's a 
an amalgamation of various different things. And I'm not trying to say one is right and one is wrong, but it's just, it's getting a little murky and it's getting a little weird because then also too, isn't artificial intelligence a product of the human mind because it was created by a human? I, I genuinely have no fucking idea. I'm just spitballing random things, but it's just so interesting and weird. And especially in the creative field, I know it can get really murky as we've seen with a couple other copyright cases, but this is just, I think I just wanted to talk about this because this is like the first time that it's actually like uh, legislation has been, has been writ and decided. So the judge also stated, quote, Thaler must either provide evidence that the work is the product of human authorship or convince the Copyright Office to depart from a century of copyright jurisprudence. He has done neither, which you can change laws. That is how laws are supposed to function. Um, So I just, I guess genuinely, I just think that this is going to be an even bigger issue the more that AI, whoa, I just kept going with the eyes. Uh, The more that AI is utilized throughout our daily lives, like so many people are incorporating it now into everything, I think it's going to be a really big issue. And I do think copyright law is really going to have to be like totally overhauled or something like that because it's going to get really murky. Because also then would you qualify, you know, having 2% human involvement or something in it? Like, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's such a weird thing. And I keep thinking of Walter Benjamin. It's a little bit different what he was saying, but it's the the idea of aura and the, the one of a kind versus the mass produced whatever and how like the one of a kind artwork has this unique aura to it. And that's what makes it so beautiful. But then when you get to machine like mechanically reproduced artwork, then it loses all of that. And it's just like, blah, and it's no good. But then that argument has also shifted to photography and video. And I think it's completely false, but I don't know. Anyway, so that's where we're at with copyright and AI. Currently, it has to be produced from a human mind or from a human body, I guess. And then that is where we're at. So there you go. Okay, on to our final story. What kind of artworks do Russian millionaires and billionaires steal or collect? Whatever you think. Uh, Well, thanks to a database called War and Art, we are going to find out. We are going to take a look at some of the most expensive artwork that is in this database. But first, I want to give you a little bit of backstory to what the fuck I'm even talking about. This database was launched earlier this month or earlier last month now in August by Ukraine's national agent. National. (laughs) Ukraine's National Agency on Corruption Prevention, so NACP, which is what I'm going to call it from here on out, they launched this initiative. According to their website, this is a database to track all the valuables that have been stolen by Russia's business, Russian businessmen, politicians, and public figures who, quote, try to hide and launder their money, end quote, through the purchase of these objects. So the group that runs this database, quote, identify leads and publish information about sanctioned persons that threaten Ukraine's cultural heritage, territorial integrity, and independence, end quote. So this is a huge, huge thing that they're doing. Um, And in the database, a lot of the objects are, it's primarily artwork, but then there are also some valuable collectibles and furniture, which we'll talk about some some of those in just a sec. Sorry. (laughs) But like I said, of course, primarily we're going to focus on artwork. The NACP states that their mission is to, quote, prevent illegal trade and art objects and antiquities stolen by the occupiers in Ukraine during the war, end quote. And then eventually these assets can be frozen and confiscated. So they're trying to collect everything so then it's not like another 
World War II or whatever, it's like, okay, well, where is all this artwork? Where did it go? As of now, so far, the total value of the artworks they've identified is over $2.1 billion. Billion with a B as in, wow, that's a lot of money. Anyway, I don't mean to make a joke in the midst of this because this is very important work. Uh, and the the NACP is consistently adding to this list. So the database just keeps getting refreshed over and over and over again. And there's a lot of stuff. So this is all just as of now what I've seen. But I mean, things are going to change. Values are going to change, whatever. So now let's take a look at some of the objects that are in this database. And I don't really have more about the actual like work of it because I don't really know exactly how it functions, but I just want to talk about a couple of the different artworks because it's really fascinating to know. I should also clarify, there is a lack of official data because this is speculation, auction records, and then what's currently known. So it's a lot of hearsay. Some of the artworks don't even have images of them because it's just like, oh, well, we know this exists, but it doesn't appear in an auction catalog or whatever. So the most expensive one that we know of right now is Mark Rothko's number six, Violet Green and Red. In 2014, it sold for $186 million at Christie's. So this is the highest valuation that we have for an artwork currently. It's also believed to be one of the top five most expensive paintings ever sold publicly. So this, stolen, not good. Now the oldest artwork is Sandro Botticelli's Portrait of a Young Man Holding a Roundel. This was created between 1480 and 1485. It was purchased in 2021 by an unidentified buyer for $92 million. This is also super rare too, because Botticelli's work very rarely comes to the auction block. It's normally in a uh, public collection of some kind, whatever that means. So it's very rare to actually see a Botticelli for sale. And then just two more stats and then we're almost done. By far, the most popular artist to pop up within the database is Marc Chagall, which is a little surprising to me. He just kept popping up like over and over and over again. But again, this is going to change the more we know. And also included, which I thought was really fascinating, are two of Van Gogh's olive tree paintings. I think there are like 15 or something of them, or at least 15, whatever it is. These are a very specific interesting group of paintings that Van Gogh created, which you can go Google more if you want to learn more. Um, so two of those are in this database. So they are just somewhere. Like I mentioned, though, also not all, not everything in this database is artwork. There's a piano, a marble bathtub, and there are a bunch of other collectibles. Like there were a shit ton of time pieces, whether like big ass clocks or tiny ass watches. <laughs> I feel like that would be my store name, big ass watch clocks or tiny ass watches uh, a bunch of dishes and ceramics there was furniture there was one specific chair that I really loved it was by Charles Charles Rennie Macintosh Ugh. it was by Charles Rennie Macintosh I love his style it's just so like perfectly geometric and it's an early Frank Lloyd Wright sort of predecessor anyway love his stuff and then there were also a lot of pianos and cellos I was shocked at the number of cellos that were in there I played violin for like 10 years so I was just like ooh, string instruments um so I was just shocked by that anyway I'm very glad that this initiative exists and that people are taking an interest in preserving cultural heritage and thank you so much for listening and be sure to like this episode if you liked it uh subscribe if you want if not cool have a good day you do you um I don't think I have any other parting notes I'm just a little flighty. But anyway, we got to go. We have an event to go to. So anyway, I'm Amara Andrew. Never stop creating.